0: So, I don't know how many of you knew that there was a big fight last night between Mayweather and McGregor. Uh, when JB called on Friday night and asked me to put something together, I thought that I'd try to do something aligned with that. Uh, one of our biggest fights as Christians is with the flesh. We have three main enemies in Scripture the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the flesh is really the one that we can control as believers. Uh, Paul t- spends a lot of time in the New Testament, and John mentions it. Uh, but it's something that's glossed over because it's difficult to comprehend. It's an abstract thought. Does it mean your body? Does it mean something in us? What is the flesh specifically, and how do we deal with it? Uh, That's what I want to look at today. We're going to go fast. Uh, We're going to get pretty deep pretty quickly so that we can get to our group groups and talk about it. Uh, But it's the down and dirty part of who we are as Christians. And so I think it's important that we look at it and understand it. Uh, my, My favorite John Wayne movie is McClintock. I don't know how many of you all have seen it. Okay, good. So. When, McClint, when G.W. McClintock goes and sees his estranged wife for the, for the first time, does anybody remember how he starts the conversation with her? Yeah, he says, let's get to the rat killing, right? <laughs> he knows that they're about to get down and dirty, and so that's kind of what I want to do today. Let's get to the rat killing. Let's get to the bottom of this pretty quickly and uh, go talk about it. Our goals, I want to be able to define and understand the flesh. I want to understand what the role is from Scripture in Romans 6, 7, and 8, and in Galatians 5. Uh, not just to know it, but the, obviously so that we can apply it and understand how to have victory against the flesh. I uh, want to understand the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit as listed in Galatians. And then I want to see what we should know, what we're to consider, and what we should present in order to have victory in the Christian life. So some of this, there is some prerequisite to this that it, you kind of have to get before you're going to be able to put it all together. And I think you all know it, but I just want to do a quick review. So. When a person believes, we're given several things, right? What are some things that we get? Eternal life, yeah, that's the big one. What else? The Holy Spirit, what'd you say? Well, we will will get glorified bodies someday, which is perfect because that means that we won't be in the flesh anymore. What else? The human spirit, we're made spiritually alive. That's what Ephesians 2 says, right? That we come into this world... Dead and trespasses and sins. Um, But we're new creations. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things pass away. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You see that there. Do you not know that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And then uh, Romans 6, the whole point of Romans 6 is that we're placed in union with Christ. And there are several implications that come for that for Christians because we're placed in union with Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. So before. You know, you think about that. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature, right? So the inference is that we were in a specific condition before we believed, and now we're in a new condition after we believe. So what? how are we new creations? Is it just the things that we just talked about that we get the Holy Spirit? Uh, or are there some abilities that come with that too? Right, we get spiritual gifts. Uh, we're going to see here in a minute about how it relates specifically to the flesh, Uh, But what about new believers, or excuse me, what about what goes away? What comes? If the old things have passed away and new things have come, if we're new creatures in Christ, what went away? Okay, so our sin has been paid for, all right? We receive forgiveness of sins when we believe, right? What else? In the context of Romans 6, 7, and 8, does anybody know specifically what we lose? In the context of the flesh? All right, let's look at it. So you guys have seen this diagram before. Uh, In terms of what we're composed of, what does an unbeliever have? When you come into this world and you're dead in trespasses and sins, what do you have? What's number one? A body. We all have a body, right? What else? What? A conscience. Has mankind always had a conscience? When did we get it? Yeah, when we ate from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, we were imputed. So everybody has a conscience. Romans 2 says that our conscience bear witnesses so that we're without excuse. What else? We have a body, a conscience. What about a soul? Yeah, somebody said a soul. It's different from the spirit. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. And then what's the last one? What's the one we're talking about today? The flesh. Right, so that's the old things, right? That's the old us. When we believe, what's added to that list? The Holy Spirit. And then what's the last one? The human spirit, right? We're made spiritually alive. That's part of why we're new creations. So what is the flesh? Okay, yeah, if you go to Stillwater Bible, you know that it's the natural bent to sin. But what does that mean? Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's basically what causes us or what Satan uses against us to defect from God's word, right? Uh, the Greek word for the New Testament is sarx, S-A-R-X, it has the idea of being the physical part of human nature apart from divine influence and therefore being prone to sin and opposed to God. So, you know, First Corinthians 2.14, it says, but a natural man, the word natural there is actually a soulish man, basically what we come in with. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he can't. He literally can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Why can't he understand it if it's spiritually appraised? He doesn't have any spirit. That's right, They're dead. They come into the world dead in trespasses and sins. They're not able to understand it because they can't, because they're spiritually dead. So the best way to think about, define, and understand the flesh is to say that it's the natural bent to sin. The flesh is the part of us that wants to rebel and to do what we want regardless of what God wants. It doesn't go away. It's present within every believer and unbeliever, and we're going to focus mostly on the believer, but we will talk a little bit about the believer. And as we've seen, everyone comes into the world spiritually dead and trespasses in sin as a result of Adam's sin. Let's see what Paul says about the flesh here in Romans 7. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who does wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the internet man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? We can all relate to this, right? We all want to do good, but we don't. Uh, before someone believes in Jesus for eternal life, they walk according to the flesh like we talked about because they don't have another option until they believe. The flesh is the master of unbelievers and it chains and binds them to sin and death. You have a question? Yes. Yeah, that's Romans 6. He goes through all that. And th- that's a great point. And that's a great truth. Uh, I want to get to the heart of it. And that's, that's part of what, that's what we start, the newness of my newness of life class. We start with that that because of the law, it reveals sin. Paul says that I wouldn't have even known I was sinning unless I was told not to, right? That's the inherent nature of the flesh. That's what it is. That's what we're up against. So because of what Adam did, because of the fall, Romans says, therefore, just as sin entered through one man, so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. Uh, We deal with that constantly, Spiritually dead people can't do or understand God's will, but believers can, even though we do succumb to the will. The good news is that we don't have to. Here Paul explains in Romans 8, So then, brethren, we're under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. Why? That's exactly, payment for sin is always death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So if you're living according to the flesh, you must die, both physically and spiritually. But if by the Spirit you're putting the death to the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For if you've not received it, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, we don't have to go back under the bondage of sin. But you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So part of what we receive as new creatures, as new creations, is the ability to stop sinning. Isn't that what he says in Romans 6? To consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God, and to stop presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your instruments as instruments, or your members as instruments of righteousness? Why don't we? If we have that ability, why do we still sin? Sin's fine. Isn't it? If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. It's easy. Yeah, so really what you're talking about is whether we have a spirit before we're made, before we're made new creatures. And I think what you're getting at is the soul. There is a difference between a soul and a spirit. The Greek has separate words for them. are several places in the New Testament to where they're listed at the same time. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of both soul and spirit. And then again later here in uh, Romans 7, he says that the Holy Spirit works with our spirit. And in that word, it's different than the soul. So we're spiritually dead. So you can say it's inactive if you want. But either way, we're spiritually dead when we come into the world and we're not able to relate to God. If you want to define it, the soul, is the, it's the same word there where we get the word psyche, like sukho. And so that's how you relate to the world around you. It's your mind, your will, your emotions. The spirit is more of how we relate to God. We're not able to relate to God because we come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. Die and you will surely die. You're dying physically and spiritually. Well, really, if you, I mean, to that logic, why didn't Adam die immediately if it was physical death? But I don't want, hey, I don't want to get into the weeds, let's keep going. Uh, like I said, you guys should take my Newness of Life class next year, and we'll get, we go into all of this, and we get into some of the exact definitions and specifics of what you're talking about. So, Christ, the point is that Christ has broken the chains of the dominance before we, of the flesh. Before, when we were unbelievers, we didn't have that ability. Now, as believers, we do. So he walks us through this monumental victory for Christians in their daily lives. Consider this chain of events. Mankind could not keep the law's requirements, allowing sin to endure, right? For all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, mankind needed a permanent solution for sin and its result, death. We just said that the wages of sin is death, but how was that taken care of before Jesus? Yeah, sacrifices. The author of Hebrews says that every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But he, having made the payment for sin for all time, sat down. The juxtaposition there is that the priests are standing, constantly offering the same sacrifices for sin because they have to cover it. Jesus sat down because he made the ultimate payment for sin. It's over. It's finished, right? Right? So Jesus, born of the Spirit, lived a perfect life in obedience to the law, thereby qualifying him alone as the perfect substitute for mankind. He gave that perfect life on the cross and did what the law couldn't. He took away sin instead of simply covering it. He rose again, conquering the result of sin, death, and replaced it with the offer of life, both eternal life and the quality of the Christian life. When we believe in Jesus for eternal life, we're placed in Christ Jesus and are unified in his death and resurrection. Therefore, since we're unified in his death and resurrection, the requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. So the flesh has lost its power of those who are in Christ Jesus, us, the new creations. So in a reverse of the saying, the war is over, right? Right? The sin's been paid for and the dominance over the flesh is conquered, but the battle continues because does the flesh go away at conversion? No, it's what Satan uses right now. He's built an entire world system to attack us. That's the chink in our armor. That's the part that he knows is always going to be with us until we're glorified. So this fallen world system that he has set up is used to tempt us, to lure us, to guide us into what he wants instead of what God wants. And we like it. There's a part of us that does. That's what Paul was saying. What a wretched, what wretched people we are that we know what's right and we choose to do what's wrong. So the flesh f- fails mankind in two ways. One, we cannot overcome our, corrup- our corruption on our own. Our corruption there is our flesh. Two, we cannot achieve goodness on our own. We can't stop doing bad and aren't capable of doing good i.e. being righteous, without the redeeming act of Christ or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If we could, then Christ died needlessly. So the flesh is the part of us that pulls us towards sin and rebellion from God and wants for, uh, uh, from what God wants for us and what he commands of us. It's our enemy, and as long as we're in these bodies and our glorified bodies, will be a tension and a battle within us. So where specifically is that tension? Of all the parts or the components that make up who we are, where is that tension? Yeah. It's the spirit and the flesh. We have two sides, right? That's why Paul can say and be honest in saying, it's not me that's doing it, it's sin, right? Even though it's in his body, his point is we're made new. We're new creatures. We don't have, that's been crucified and dealt with if we choose to walk by the spirit. And so that's how we have victory in the Christian life. Galatians 5.16 says, but I say, walk by the spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So, yeah, Ryan, you're right. It's between the spirit and the flesh, because the spirit promotes God's interest, and the flesh promotes self-interest. It can't be both. This is a pretty black and white issue. There's no gray. That's why J.B. says that you're either being conformed to the image, or being, or you're either being conformed to the world, or you're being transformed. So according to this passage, why should we walk by the Spirit? We do it so that we will not carry out the desire of the flesh or the things that we please. So what does that look like? It's easy to say that we should walk by the Spirit, but what does that mean? Okay. Okay. So, how do you have fellowship with God? How do you maintain fellowship with God? Okay, yeah, he says in Romans 6 stop sinning. Stop presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but you present yourselves as alive to God, to those who are alive from the dead. Here in Galatians, he lays it out. He says, here's how it should look the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, emitting, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. To me, the key word there is the things like these. He gives you some specifics, but he leaves it open-ended. What's common? What's the commonality between those things? Selfishness. Those all take care of the self, Right? But then he contrasts it with the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there are no law. Now, if those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified with the flesh, which he goes out of his way so many times in Romans to prove, with its passions and desires, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So how is that accomplished? Can you tell by someone's actions if they're walking in the Spirit? Yes or no? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Can you, ask, can you tell by someone's actions if you know they're a believer? No. I was 33 before I realized that. And up until that time, there probably weren't very many people that could have said that I was a believer. So you can't tell by somebody's actions because they can still walk by the flesh, it still attacks them. For the most part, that's the whole purpose of what he says here in Galatians 5. If you are walking by the Spirit, it's gonna have fruit. What is that fruit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If not, it's the other things. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Right before he goes into that, He says that you were called to freedom, right? Because of what Christ did, the sins paid for, you're called to freedom. Just don't let the freedom turn into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, do what? Serve one another. Is serving selfless or selfish? Yeah, it's selfless, inherently. You're doing something for somebody else or something else. And how are we to serve? Through love. Love's the greatest, right? What's the first commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What's the second greatest commandment? Love others. What's the first fruit of the Spirit listed here? Love. Above all things, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins, just like what JV's teaching about with forgiveness. It's the greatest. When Jesus gave a new commandment, he changed it. What did he say? What is it? Yeah, he changed it from love one another as you love yourself to love one another as I have loved you. Why is that greater? Because Jesus' life was 100% sacrificial. It was 100% selfless. It was unconditional. That's how we're supposed to love one another and that's supposed to how we're supposed to serve each other. So walk by the Spirit, love has a big part to do with that, right? It should be demonstrated in your actions. I don't want to get on my soapbox because I don't have time, but that's part of what's wrong with our society. People do not think that Christians are credible because they don't see love in their actions. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about who we are as a people group. If people don't see love in your life, you're doing it wrong. That's basically what Paul's saying here. So if you're walking by the Spirit, here's what it's going to look like. If you're not, you're going to be conforming to the world because you're going to succumb to your old man, the old part of you, which is your flesh. So how can someone walk by the Spirit? The summary verse in Romans is chapter 12. He goes back to chapter 1, to where he's already established. We're sinners. We're in need of a Savior. The law demonstrates sin, for all sin fall short of the God, glory of God. Because of that sin, we all die spiritually and physically. Uh, Jesus is the, is the person that we have to believe in. Romans 4, 5 says, but to the one who does not work but believes in him, Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And then he goes into Romans 12, and he has a summary statement, which is, therefore, I urge you, brethren, I beg you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice, There's the word sacrifice again. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be what? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. That's where you shape your perspective. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're walking by the Spirit, you're renewing your mind, you're going to know what the will of God is. And then we achieve victory by knowing the implications of being unified in Christ's death and resurrection. What are those implications? Because Jesus died and he rose again and we're identified, we're placed in Christ, the implications are that we have the power over the flesh. We've been given spiritual gifts to serve with. All those things on the fruit of the spirit side, those are supernatural. Some people can do that stuff naturally, but most can't, especially if they're in the flesh. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Somebody said that, Stop sinning. That's right. That's the exact same thing that Paul said. You can, but you choose not to. And then present yourselves to God as those who have been made alive from the dead. That's a whole different study, but it's good. If you guys read Romans 6, you'll get it. So this manifests itself through serving God, through prayer, through scripture study, scripture memorization, understanding God's word, all for the purpose of applying it. I think that Christians too often think that the whole Bible, we know the story of the Bible, right? They think that it's about what? Salvation. It's about having eternal life. If you look at the New Testament, it's mostly not about that. It's there, but it's about what you do now. That's not the end line for us. That's not the finish line. That's the starting point for Christians. Now that you have eternal life, what are you going to do with it? And then on the back of that page, I gave you uh, what the idea behind the Greek words for each of the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit are so that you can use it. Paul says it's evident if you're in the flesh, this is the stuff that you're gonna be like. And then of course, the things like this that promote self, they take care of their own needs or desires at the expense of love, unity, relationships, or needs in others. And then the same thing with the fruit of the spirit. So to summarize, it sounds like we're gonna have a lot of good things to talk about in our group. So talk about these things. The flesh is the natural bent to sin. When we believe in Jesus for eternal life, we're in union with his victory over the flesh. It still exists, though, and it still pulls us after conversion. We choose to put ourselves back into the bondage of sin by walking in the flesh. We can't overcome our corruption or achieve goodness on our own. Here's the applications. Shift your perspective by presenting yourselves to God, right? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Love God, love others, serve God, and serve others. Think about what specific things appeal to your flesh so that you can begin to identify its pull, if you haven't already. Here's a big one. Pray against yourself and don't put yourself in situations in which you repeatedly fail, by succumbing to the flesh. You have that power now. You didn't used to, but you do now. Defend against the flesh by taking steps to proactively conform, to walk by the Spirit in Christ's will. This is accomplished through prayer, confession, scripture reading, scripture memorization, and loving others.